Welcome to Get to Work Hurley, your podcast for pro writers, fans, and geeks of all sorts. On this episode, she's a New York Times best-selling author, including the first official Stranger Things novel, Suspicious Minds, the Lois Lane Young Adult series, and the romantic comedies, not your average hot guy, The Date from Hell, and Mr. and Mrs. Witch, with a new magical art heist book, The Frame Up, out this month. Welcome to the program, Wenda Bond, and now your host, Cameron Hurley. Wenda, thank you so much for coming. I'm so delighted to always spend time with you. <laughs> it's always a delight. <laughs> Um, so Gwenda, you, you and I, I think we, when did you start publishing? I think we started publishing at a similar time. I think I met you actually before. Oh, uh, that's true. We met back in the day. years before. Yeah. Right. Um, I think you maybe were, I think you were already publishing cause you wrote short stories and things. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think your first novel, what year did your first novel come out? 2011. Oh, okay. So yeah, mine came out in 2012. Yeah. So yeah, totally around right. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Now you have had like this extremely varied career. So you've written like, I remember the circus books were in there. Again, we got Lois Lane. We got yeah. Superman. You have this, again, the, the latest one, the frame up, which is, you know, an art heist romance. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I just finished, uh, as I told you, um, uh, Stranger, or not Stranger, um, uh, True Detective Night Country, and I was like super impressed at how they uh, were able to satisfy like a supernatural audience, supernatural horror audience, yes. and a mystery audience. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how you know you have written so in so many different genres, and you do some mashups again, like heist and romance. Like, how do you approach ensuring that both those audiences that you're bringing are going to have like a satisfying experience? Um, up with the hard questions here well we hope you hope that they do I mean it is true I realize and I think I've only gone further in this direction like the book I'm working on now and the art has it's like why just uh, why just pick one when you could make it so much harder for yourself <laughs> um and and try and make like a yeah you know, I'm working on a historical fantasy regency uh series now and it's like okay, well, need to satisfy the fantasy people and the Regency people. Um, and for the art heist, yeah, I wanted to have magic in it because I always have magic in it. Uh, and I think that's fun. And uh, you don't see as many magic heists, um, I think, because it's so hard to pull off just a regular heist um, in a story. And I really did want to play fair within the rules of the magic in the world and with also the real world, like the FBI art crime unit would be there. And so, uh, yeah, that was crazy. I don't know why I did that. Actually, I just ran into my friend uh, who's publishing as Meg Schaefer now, but she was originally as Tiffany Wrights and she's studying screenwriting. And she was like, I have to tell you that if you had told me about this book before I read it, I would have tried to talk you out of putting magic in it. <laughs> I would have been like, this is too hard. Uh, don't do it. Um, and uh, and of course, it's always fun to see how they choose to market something. Like I've done a lot of explaining. This is not a romance. It has a romance, but it's not a romance. Um, and I realized that's on me. That happens when you 
you know, people bring assumptions to your work from what they've read before. Uh, but I really think it comes down to, um, I read all sorts of things and watch all sorts of things as I know you do too. And I think that what we produce tends to be a product, right? Of what we love to do. And so I really love like all of those things. So I'm going to just throw them in and um, hope that it makes something that feels fresh because of the combination. Uh, but also that people who like those sorts of things will enjoy it. Um, yeah. But Night Country is an interesting case we should talk more about. I read an interview with the um, showrunner and she said that every mystery in the show has both uh, has an explanation for the more mystic partner and an explanation for the more rational partner and I do think that's part of why it works like that's a good right yeah, bringing basically you're representing your audience types right in your protagonists yes yeah that's a really good um yeah I was like yeah, I'm stealing that that's smart that's great <laughs> yeah and again that they did they rationalized each of them rationalized it in their own ways yeah. yes no for sure well and again I think some of the issue too to your point we're making products and I am and I look at our covers and it's like yeah. the covers sell the books, but to your point, it's like, does this oversell a heist or oversell the romance part when it's yeah. a little less about, I mean, that's something we have partial control. I know your dog is on this cover. My dog is on the cover. I love the cover. Yeah, it's adorable. Yeah, it's a great cover. But to your point, sometimes they, you know, there's things we don't have the control over of what, what um, is being signaled right on the cover. And it's like, right. all we can do is market it to the best of our ability, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and honestly, like that is selling right now. Like it's, it's, I, I get it 1000%. If I had realized though, how romance coded it was going to be, I would have added a scene or two, but, uh, <laughs> cause it's fairly, scene chased. Or two. Yeah. Yeah. it's fairly chased by romance. Yeah. Standards. Now when it comes to like you choosing to do projects and again, it's like, Oh, I could do the easy thing and just write this one genre, but you do not. So what is your approach like to your career trajectory? And how has that, how has that changed from the time again that you and I first started 2011, 2012 as far as publishing novels? How has that changed over the last 10, 12 years for you and how you pick projects? I know you have two, you have two agents now too, don't you? I do. Yeah. For different projects. So if you could just talk a little bit more about um, how you think about your career and choosing next projects. Well, I do feel like in the last, maybe like pandemic era, like right before I got more strategic about it. And that was actually when I brought on my second agent, Kate, um, my agent, Jen Lofren, and both of my agents, they share a lot in common. They're really complimentary and they love each other and they both are advice givers. So like, I will just say like for people who are, who want like good advice from agents, Jen is my kid-led agent, and she has a podcast called The Literati Cast, um, and uh, just loves giving advice, has a Tumblr, and knows everything about kid-led. She was a bookseller before, and then my adult agent, Kate McKean, actually has a book coming based on her Substack, which is Agents and Books, and I've, every, anytime anyone asks me a publishing question now, I just go see if Kate has written about it and like send them. And they're always like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted. Um, so I'm very candid and like, I just, I, I really like people as I know you do. And you spend a lot of time doing this too, who demystify 
the wacky world of publishing because it's crazy. It's 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 rough out here in these streets. Um, I have been lucky though in that both of them have really. I've never had that experience where an agent was like, "Don't write this." I mean, certainly when I was younger, I was more susceptible to like, "Oh, the agent doesn't seem immediately enthusiastic about this." Um, and taking it to heart. And I think I learned my lesson actually with Not Your Average Hot Guy, which started out uh, being called something else. But like I sent the first, I it was the first project I just sat down and kind of wrote in secret. And I, I wrote like the first 50 pages and I decided to send it to Jen. And, uh, and Jen was like not as enthusiastic as I wanted. And I'm like, this is a crazy book. Why am I doing this? But I wrote it anyway. And then she admitted, I just don't like demons and God's books, but I love this book. And I'm like, well, okay, lesson learned. Like don't read in more than like, it's a personal preference. Uh, and, and like I said, she never said, don't write this. Um, but I do think, uh, I feel like my, I just had sort of, I don't know. That book was a pivot point to me. Um, we ended up selling it as adult, even though I wrote it as YA. And I basically had to do nothing but change the ages of the characters to make it adult. And I was like, yeah, I'm writing adult books now. Um, and, and the YA market had gotten kind of crazy and unpredictable and also just the drama um, that I just wanted to kind of do something different. And the Stranger Things book I had written had sort of fallen into my lap. Most of the IP that I do <laughs> falls into my lap. Um, and But it, that was an adult book, although a lot of teens have read it. And so I really enjoyed doing that. And it was just a new landscape. When I first started publishing, I didn't think I would ever want to write anything besides Kidlet, but I did. Um, and so I did get more strategic. I started thinking about like, well, what is the, how can I make the books I'm writing the most me and hope that people come to that. And I do think I've sort of tripled down on the genre mashups uh, and just like smart and fun is sort of what I write. And like, I'm always complimented when people say a book is fun because the last two books I've written are actually incredibly complicated craft-wise. And so if someone's like, it's fun, even if every part of it doesn't work for them, it means the seams are pretty hidden. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and who doesn't want to read a fun book? So um, yeah, that's so strategically, I just I mean, I'm always thinking a couple books ahead. I'm always thinking how to pivot. pivot. Rachel Kane was a good friend and she was so savvy in her career. And she would always say that, you know, the market changes, but whenever something closes off or is done for a while, that means other opportunities are opening up. And if you like to write a lot of different things, you can always sort of find a, a place to go, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a way, a way to talk about it. Right. Some of this is also just, oh, I, I was, I, again, yeah, you know, my, my day job is marketing and we just sold a client on something we've been trying to sell them on forever. And we just literally changed the name of it. And suddenly, cause they were obsessed with this idea. We don't do X. We don't yeah. do this tactic. Right. So we're like, what if we say it's this, everything else was the same, but they were like, yep. yeah, we can do that. Cause we do that. So yeah, a lot of it is just like, how do I express that? And I think there's a big talk right now about romanticy. Um, oh, yeah. this new romanticism is like, it's nothing new, but it's just, we call it something for something that already exists. There's already, but now there's this new buzzword and everyone gets excited. And that, now you just go, yes, what I write is, you know. Romanticy. You just, yeah, you just stick it into the, you know, that bucket. 
So yeah, some of it is just also just re repivoting how you speak about even your existing work. Yeah. Um, I've always found extremely. Um, it is really funny. It's funny to me. Anytime a, as something a woman writes becomes wildly successful, you have to, yeah, that seems like more likely to get a portmanteau uh, <laughs> left on it so that we can trivialize, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> you know, I was actually thinking, um, I was thinking about that. Like, oh, you know, sex in, in fantasy, oh, girl cooties. Well, and I was thinking, hey, you know who has a lot of sex in their books? Joe Abercrombie does. And they're terrible sex scenes, but that's, they're funny, right? They're terrible sex scenes. But of course, we don't talk about it as... No. You know, is that oh, it's grim, it's so grim, it's so dark. But oh, girls having consensual sex that are a nice scene, yeah, oh, that's something, totally yeah, different. yeah, um, exactly, which I thought was hilarious, yeah. So now, Gwenda, you work full time, so um, what are your like you write full time, so what are like your you're working up and you have a lot of you have your hands in so many other things too like you are like volunteering up the wazoo like Gwenda is like the, guys she's like a legit superhero and you don't <laughs> want to mess with her because she knows everything she knows people but she knows people and that's what I love about Gwenda is like she behind the scenes like is taking care of so much more than you guys could even imagine so like in the middle of helping everyone else like what are your I what are your workouts or your ideal work? <laughs> I, I, I know, right? like that, ideally yeah. what I would do. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. when it comes to maybe plotting and oh, um, figuring yeah. things out. Yeah. Cause I know everybody approaches that differently at different times in their careers. Absolutely. Um, I think from doing IP, my process has changed a bit um, because you have to learn how to plot in detail. And there were a lot of things though from that process that I've kind of brought into mind. So I do like, just doing a giant wall of index cards. I think if people haven't tried that, it's an interesting exercise to get the story out of your head. Um, and like, for me, that's very helpful and be able to see it. And I mean, that might be at a different stage, depending on the book. I always joke that like at the 80% mark of every book, I buy a book on how to write a book. <laughs> and uh, and, same. <laughs> and like, and recently, like last year, I bought one at the 25% mark and I'm like, oh, this isn't going well. I need to restructure this. <laughs> um, but yeah, ideally, I mean, it's my last year has been so up in the air and I'm behind right now, but I'm starting to get back into work. And I do think that like every book has sort of different hours when it seems like it wants to be written. Like in my heart of hearts, I still think of myself as the day job girl who got up and wrote before and then at lunchtime. And there's something really freeing about only having certain pockets of time to write in. And I do think that one of the reasons I do so many other things is to try and replicate that pressure cooker um, because that's how I learned how to write, you know? And so if you've got a bunch of other things that you're juggling, then you do have to find those hours and you can't just like fuck around. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really like if I'm really stuck, I'll do accountability partners. I know, you know, we've done like writing Zooms and things. Sometimes you just need to be like have somebody else that desperately needs to make progress and um, both show up at the same time. And the writer's room is kind of that writ large. Um, but ideally, I, I mean, I'm not one of those people who other than deadline is going to work more than a couple, three hours, like in a row. I just feel like it's diminishing returns. 
when things are going well, I would say like my, I always use the phrase cruising altitude for like the most you can kind of write consistently without getting burned out. It's like 1500 to 2000 words. I'm also a big fan of like the alpha smart and for drafting. Um, and now I got one of those free write things and I don't really like it as much, but it is, it is very shiny. Um, <laughs> it looks real pretty. Yeah. It's very pretty. <laughs> and it does, you just push a button and it sends, but one of the cool things about the alpha smart is watching it type your words in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> what is alpha smart for the people who don't know? Oh, for people who don't know. So the alpha smart Neo is a smart keyboard that's basically indestructible and runs on double A batteries. Uh, that was created for classrooms and it developed a following among like journalists and people before laptops were really a accessible thing and it's just a smart keyboard no connection to the internet and the free write is kind of like the 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 newer more expensive version but you could find these on uh ebay i have three well actually one i loaned to someone after i bought the free write and she's like this has changed my life um but they last forever they're basically just the best and you can get them for like 50 bucks at the expensive end on and I mean I always recommend people try it because there's really something about like if I'm stuck if I'm just sitting like somewhere and I can't fuck around on my phone or uh I should have asked am I allowed to curse on this oh god Um, yeah okay uh (laughs) uh that uh you know you just write you write faster and sure you have to go back and layer and clean it up but that's kind of my process anyway right is like layering and you know get a scene down and then layer in I hate drafting so like revision is by far what I prefer um so anything that you know allows me to like get something on the on the screen is good yeah and I really loved it I think my I got out of using it because the internal battery on mine went out. So uh, I lost a file because there's two batteries. I lost and, a file once. Yeah. yeah. There's like an internal battery that they do last forever. But then, then, and then there's the, the double A batteries that you put in. And yeah. I was like, I lost a file. And I felt like 14 again, you know, when you lose the file on the floppy. It end. was the most brilliant thing you'd ever oh, written. Yeah. And in your head, it's, oh, this was the most brilliant thing I've ever written, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually wrote a paragraph afterwards going summing up that scene so I can yeah. re, you know rewrite it. But yeah, I always whenever you lose something, it's always the the most amazing thing. Of course. Um but <laughs> I do. I like the, you would have won the Nobel Prize in literature. Absolutely. For that I'd be like all, all the bucketfuls of prizes. And now <laughs> it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. No one can prove me wrong, Gwenda. No one can prove me wrong. <laughs> All right, Tim, did you have our uh, summary questions then? You want to wrap up? Pop culture pop quiz. This yeah. is where we talk about what you have been reading or watching or listening to uh, recently. Uh, you mentioned uh, True Detective uh, Night Country. What else has been in your uh, queue, your Netflix queue or your Spotify queue, that sort of thing, or TBR? <laughs> Gwenda. Um, well, Ghost is back, which is one of my favorite TV shows, which is always a delight. I have been re-watching The Good Wife because, like, slowly, because there's so much of it, because we used to have the nice things of 22 episode seasons of things. Yeah. And um, 
and I love a like a and I think they were really at the top of their game in terms of like the 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 case of the week was always like really well inventively done um so that's what I've been like just kind of watching and then I've been reading a book about Todd Browning the director actually um who was a just a oddball um at his funeral only one person was permitted in overnight with a six pack of cores and it was like the handyman who worked at his house because he wanted to have one more have one more beer together um yeah and like his uncle is the guy that the louisville slugger was named after uh and he would just get drunk on the field like he could hit but he couldn't read and he was a, just a nightmare and uh probably died of a sexually transmitted disease uh, once passed out on like the third base and people would write articles dragging him. So this is a very entertaining, like the book so far, it's sort of research for one of my works in progress. Um, Cause I've got a director who's loosely based on Browning in the book. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually reading, I'm on the second Vera Stanhope novel because of course I watched Vera the show yeah, um, And they're really interesting because I'm so used to that Agatha Christie style of you put all the clues in there so that the reader could possibly, um, you know, figure it out themselves. And she doesn't do that. Like she's oh, just, like, viewer just, yeah, viewer just interviews people and she has all these wild theories that she interviews someone new. And then suddenly she'll kind of accidentally stumble on it, just like in real life, right? Where she's yes. like, and then this one person says, finally, like three quarters of the way through the book. And that led me through this entirely different, you know, mode. And I'm just like, if I look back, and in fact, I I actually read or I watched the episode that, that the second book was based on, so I would know who did it. So I was like, this time, I'm going to see how she, you know, really set that up. And it's like, it's not there. You got to wow. go through the whole three quarters of the book of her doing everything. And then you start, then she starts to piece it together, which I thought was a really interesting, because I'm so that formula. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly much more realistic. It's less satisfying, but yeah. much more realistic. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I actually finished uh, Robert Bennett's The Tainted Cup, uh, which was. Oh, yeah. I want to read that. Yeah. That was a murder mystery as well um, with really great world building and a really cool, um, you know, fantasy world where you've got these like giant leviathans that that come in during the wet season that destroy things. They put up these walls for them and there's all this uh, contagious um continue very Chinese yes yeah it's a little bit Chinese it's not as overwritten like Chinese yeah it's very it has that nice feel to it so yeah I really um really enjoyed that one and then when I was sick because of course I finally got COVID I was watching I like watched the first five seasons of Bering Sea Gold (laughs) you're on the bottom of the ocean vacuuming up the gold like some people watch Real Housewives and I watch like those micro dirty jobs sort of things. Yeah, like, when I, I had when I had COVID, I watched uh, I watched all of For All Mankind. That was yes. oh yeah. <laughs> which no, turns into a soap opera. It does. Yeah. Apparently the showrunner left. And so oh, showrunners, it was less science and more that explains a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's always the way. That's why we can't have nice things. <laughs> all right, Cameron. Is it time for the uh, our outro? Uh, well, you have to you have to say where we can find everybody. Exactly. Find so, Gwenda. yeah, you can find Gwenda via her regular Substack newsletter at gwendabond.substack.com. 
You can visit her online at www.gwendabond.com at Gwenda on Blue Sky and Twitter. I don't call it X. And Gwenda Bond at Instagram. Um, of course, Cameron is available at CameronHurley.com, active on Blue Sky and Instagram under the same name. You can sign up for a short, gooey adventure from her every month at Patreon. Cameron, send us home. All right, Gwenda, thank you so much um, for joining thank us today. You. And um, I know we had to reschedule this a few times because COVID, fuck COVID and all that. But So thank you very much, and I appreciate it. Oh, no, thank you. All right, everybody else, get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>